How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 133. Yes. <sighs> Correct. Well done. <laughs> I'm like that too. Don't worry. I'm like that too. This is good. This is a bit of a chill. That was opening. a way more chill entry. Yeah. yeah it's like, really, I like really, this. I, my voice is really raspy. Um, I think uh, I'm on the verge of a cold. Or, oh, that's not or, good. Yeah. So. Do you, need, do you need a mask or? Um, I was hoping that was a louder cupboard. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just no, slamming no, my no. cupboard door so the audience. I can have hear. no bad symptoms. Okay, uh, good. We are in WA. It's a safe space. <laughs> um, it's we are one of the few places space. in Australia that isn't in lockdown right now. So yeah, that's good. Um, it is it, life. Life is good, Jake. We are in the same room together, talking about some movies. I like that. It's so mm. zen. It really is. It's very zen. I like that. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. You know, just getting through my week, which mm-hmm. is good. We're yes. recording this a uh, little bit earlier than we have the last few weeks, which is nice. It is true. It getting, is very Getting true. ahead of things. I hope, know. hope that I can keep up with my usual array. You know, because I, I really do stress over the notes. And I was telling you, Zeke, before we started recording, I was I'm a bit nervous about this episode because it's been a few weeks since I saw the film of the week. Mm-hmm. So you might be a bit more fresh in it than I am. And some of my notes are a little loosey-goosey. But, you know, this is, it's okay. I don't want it to be a one-to-one note-reading mm-hmm. podcast, you know. Yeah, of course. I just want some dot points to remind myself, oh yeah, I wanted to talk about this and that, but yeah. uh, you know, it's good. It's good. I'm you definitely, calm me down. You're I'm good. definitely more. Um, I don't do too much note taking when I watch a film, but mm. uh, my my memory of you know, we were talking about like just prior to the show, like what what we like what parts of our brain we remember stuff a lot more. I feel like a lot of my mm. brain is dedicated to just remembering movies. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I forget a lot of stuff in my social lives yeah. all the time. So. No, um, but it's good because you, you're taking the Taika Watiti approach in that usually he'll write a second draft by just remembering what he remembers from the first draft and just writing that. Yeah. And assuming that everything that left the brain is not important enough or interesting enough to make a second draft, which it's not my approach, but I appreciate it. It's proven. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's proven for him. So well done, well, Taika. Speaking of movies, it's probably time to move into our film of the week of trivia. Yeah. Straight off the bat. Um, yeah. well, so what, what have you found, Zeke? What so sort of trivia? 2020's Shiver Baby. Mm. Um, I found quite a couple of um, little fun facts and stuff. I find two here that stick out, but I'll, okay. I'll, I'll stick with this one. Um, Kim, who's uh, Diana Agron in, in real life, uh, is referred to as a shiska, um, meaning non-Jewish woman. However, um, Diana Agron in real life, the actress playing Kim, actually is Jewish in real life, unlike ah. the lead, Rachel Seno. Seno? Right, yeah, who Seno. isn't Jewish herself. Yes. So, a yeah. little fun, like, production context, background yeah, well, stuff Just there. in terms of, because obviously being a Jewish family and, and, and that in this film is very important. Yeah, well, there's only one person in the film that's not of Jewish, uh, like, of a Jewish background. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny that the one person who's <laughs> not of a of Jewish faith or by like hereditary or family right. circumstances um, is actually Jewish in real life. Yeah. No, that is funny. And it's funny because I've got here an article, which I'm going to give a shout out because I've had it since I watched this film for the first time a few weeks ago. I've had it just sitting on my desktop and thankfully I found it right before we started recording. I was like, probably would have kicked myself, but it is an interview uh, with the director. Uh, is it Emma Silligan? Sil- Sil- There's an I in there. I would say it's Seligman. Seligman. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like L-I-G. 
separating we that. Are it's like apologising phonetic. if we've got that wrong, though. It's uh, it's phonics or phonetics or whatever yes. you want to call phonetics. it. Yeah. <laughs> See, now we're screwing that part up as yeah. well. <laughs> the answer of that pronunciation, but it's a director. Sorry, an interview with the director from Letterbox or it's Letterbox.com. I'll just quickly find the the name of the article because I'll scroll away from my fact. Is this called uh, Chaotic Bisexual? That's all it's called, which yeah. I appreciate. Um, but at the very bottom, and I think it's actually mentioned earlier, um, it talks about how when she was six years old, um, her first sort of brush with wanting to be a filmmaker uh, comes as early as the re-release 20-year anniversary of E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which is a film we did on the podcast quite some time ago now. It would be nearly a year ago. Yeah, because that was part of... No, it was not about... It wasn't part of our Decades Challenge, but it was after. Mm. We were recording at your house. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a distinctive time in 2020 when we were doing that for a bit. Um, Yeah, so it was around that time when um, she and I guess her family were attending... uh, I got it here. A horribly packed Briz. B-R-I-S. And when I looked up what a Briz was, I was a little surprised because it turns out it's actually a Jewish religion... Male circumcision ceremony, which is not what I was expecting when I read Briz, but you know, so you know, we're keeping it themes, Zeke. We're keeping yeah. it theme. But anyway, it was during this when her uncle said, Screw this, there are way too many people here, I can't breathe, let's go see E.T. And that was them watching E.T. that day. And uh, yeah, she says, if, uh, if I can keep skipping more of these to watch E.T., then I like movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> which might, it wasn't quite, I don't think either of us had the same experience. Finding out love for movies, but no, <laughs> not no, that exact. Say. It was an escape, escapism factor. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's totally I think like a lot of people for film loving is is got some form of escapism, isn't mm, in it? Yeah. Um, the origins of said escapism are probably not all bound to a religious belief or a right, family right. lifestyle, but yeah, I Absolutely. think it's a very fair. That's a really nifty fact. Yeah, and Zeke, do you reckon? Trick question. If this film's on the 1,100 poster behind you. Uh, it's not. Um, I think what you should... You know, we, you know, obviously, we were talking about that... Um, we're sort of joking because there are no films past 2018 on team, that poster. But the, <laughs> I think we could almost reframe the question in the future that... Oh, uh, should it be on the poster? Uh, yeah, I like that. Like, would you include this in the 1,100 films? Oh. Um if you That's were really one, clever, um, in which I would say, in response to this, probably not. Oh, okay, um, interesting. But I probably sure would, to be honest. In films that you have to watch before you die, if yeah. there was only eleven hundred films, well, out of a thousand, watch. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anywhere near the full list of films that are on there, but I've definitely seen some films. I would put this above Love Simon. I would. I haven't seen Love Simon, so right? I can't uh, comment on that. That's um, fair enough. But I think there's enough at play in terms of a director's debut and the way it's... the I'm, I'm Obviously, we're not reviewing the film just yet, mm-hmm. but I think it does enough from a, a cinematic point of view that I think it warrants yeah. a spot in the must-watch. But I think that that might be a good way of reframing it, especially with our more contemporary ones yeah. that aren't... Because the joke gets old, you're right. Ah, oh, trick question, Absolutely. isn't on there, you're But right. I think it is important that because you, you're almost putting it in... like With that poster, that mm. poster represents sort of a pantheon of films that if there are... 1100 I think it's 11 yeah 1100 yep. films that you have to watch before you die mm. um these are the 1100 you do like don't right. do anything but that 1100 mm. i think that's sort of the mentality a poster like that has where it's like cuz you're getting a full grasp of of cinema because there are definitely films in the last 
two or three years that I would 100% say if I was posed that question. Yeah. Yes. Like, you know, films we have reviewed not too long ago on the show. Mm. So, um, yeah, that would absolutely fair. be included in a um, watch before you die kind of list. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, speaking of things to watch, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? Yeah, I've seen a couple of things. Um, so, the first one I want to mention, it's not the newest film that I've seen out of the two, but I wanted to mention this one first because for those who don't know, there was actually a bit of a life and death situation on the set of Better Call Saul recently. For those who don't know, I did not know that. No, so it, which makes sense because I'm in all of those Facebook groups, so mm-hmm. I saw it pretty early. But um, basically, Bob Odenkirk had an accident, a small heart attack, we've come to find out, and actually nearly passed away this past week. It was very wow. scary, and I didn't realize how much that would affect me until I went 36 hours not knowing whether he was going to pass away or not. And you had people like David Cross and Brian Cranston, Michael McKean, like all of these people posting, you know, you know, keep him in your thoughts and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And, you know, that really freaked me out because, you know, those shows that he's in, especially Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul were so important to me. I didn't realize how much it would affect me. You, yeah. That little brush of death right there. So thankfully he's alive and well. But I was like, you know what? This is a, the best opportunity for me to finally watch Nobody which is the Bob Odenkirk film that came out earlier this year. The reason I was holding on to, because he trained so hard for this film and got really fit for it, so I was holding on to that. <laughs> he, he's got like this. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I it was actually earlier today that I finally saw it. It reminds me, and I think people are going to point at John Wick mm-hmm. as, like, the clear inspiration or the clear knockoff, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's a little too obvious. There's obviously a lot of ties to it where it's about, you know, a guy sort of um he's being brought back in as a certain uh certain al pacino might say in a certain movie and that with like the you know the russian mob and getting into this wider overly violent circumstance and mm-hmm. even the music like they use the impossible dream at one point which is in the john wick chapter 3 trailer um so there's a lot of nods and stuff in there that figure very purposeful but i think that's almost a little bit of a lazy comparison it's too obvious i compared it more to guns akimbo that daniel radcliffe filmed, okay which is you know that in itself is a film that's so un unashamedly itself mm. and it's like overly violent and overly fun and it's a it's very silly but you sort of just go with it you're sort of having fun watching it and i think i compared it more to that because it sort of ticks all those boxes you know and it, it does tick that box of you know some guy some nobody you know unknowingly setting off a big chain of events that causes him to go up against like a bunch of people and it it sort of does end with like that wild ridiculous shootout scene Mm -hmm. but there's obviously a lot of quite violent fun moments leading up to that but there were some interesting things i thought first of all the editing was actually really excellent in a Mm. lot of places i think the overall like pacing so it's like i think for a film mm. of that sort of genre the Mm. editing has to be um up to par otherwise the action really does get hindered from it yeah well exactly and i think you know we look at john wick as a film that has very minimal editing during the fight scenes because the choreography is so well planned and Mm -hmm. we get these long takes that are quite wide and you can see all the action this film doesn't quite do that it's not that's why i don't think of it as a john wick but it is sort of a little more conventional in the action scenes, but they still, you know, let them play out and they take an extended amount of time. I mean, the scene in the trailer where he's on the bus with those, like, other Russian guys, mm-hmm. that's like, I didn't count, but that could have been a five, ten minute scene because it just felt, like, quite drawn out and the violence is really rough and gritty. And I just really like that mm-hmm. because it, it gets a little more, um, I don't want to say ridiculous, it's ridiculous in a good way where 
you're like, okay, this is just like a family man who's like fighting against these guys. And then as you go on, his abilities become more and more and more refined in a way where he is just basically John Wick by the end of it. But they do sort of explain it away. They actually keep the audience hidden in the same way of we don't know who this person is. And then mm-hmm. as the film goes on, we start learning a bit more about his past and maybe why he has some of the abilities mm-hmm. that he does in terms of just like his fight style and the amount of people he can take on at once. But mm-hmm. it's all in service of just a fun action film where you get to watch Bob Odenkirk be great at this. And it's fun. And I liked it and I enjoyed it a lot. It had that thing though. If I were to knock any points off of it, of um, it reminded me a bit of Another Round, which is a weird comparison off the mm. bat. But the reason I make it is because when we talked about Another Round, there's a reason people are buying tickets to watch Another Round because they like the premise of these guys drinking to sort of test their... Uh, I guess their state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a premise there that you want to see it. Mads Mikkelsen and all of those things. I remember the film opening with that scene in the school where the the principals and that are tr- basically trying to convince him as a teacher to let his kids pass, even mm. though they're not quite uh, ready to pass, so to speak, or they're not, they haven't proven it in their test results. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being a theme that I found so interesting and weirdly relevant to here in Australia that was sort of dropped in favor for, what the film was premised as. And that was sort of something that I was probably a little harsh on anyway. I will admit that. But the film does a similar thing here where it feels like a commentary on male toxic masculinity for a while because of the way people treat Bob Odenkirk's character Hutch, who they don't know mm-hmm. is a you know a badass in secret. They kind of treat him like crap. And like his son makes comments towards him. The, his brother-in-law makes comments to him. The boss, not so much, but you know a lot of male figures putting him down mm-hmm. and i was like okay there's a bit of this interesting theme of toxic masculinity and they just don't explore it that yeah much. and then it kind of goes away it, it doesn't feel like it says anything about mm-hmm. that necessarily which again that's not why anyone's watching this movie so i can't yeah. really ding it for that but i noticed it and i wanted to point it out so fair enough yeah um do you want me to jump into the other film or do you want to go first well the only other thing i have to add was mm. i i recently um i talked a lot about last week on the show invincible and the boys yep. um i did manage to finish the boys season two nice uh in in the week um but mostly very quiet week for me in, in terms of films i got halfway through a film um well i actually got through most of it um i'll finish that when i go home but i my i you know, on the topic of Bob Odenkirk, I watched something with Brian Cranston in it. Oh, of, um, I might have seen this then. I've uh, seen a lot of this I stuff. saw Mar- it was Miles Teller, Anna Kendrick, uh, Get a Job. Oh, um, okay. So it's on Amazon Prime right now, and it's a get a, it's job. a sharp. It's a sharp eighty-minute um, kind of comedy on following predominantly. It was insanely massive cast for a mm. film that's eighty minutes long. And really has almost next to nothing to say, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, obviously, you're getting the, you know, you're talking about, you know, genre that gets you in the, or the themes of, or the ideas behind a film or what get people buying tickets. And then yeah, this is a comedy with, you know, Brian Cranston, you know, if, although, you know, we like him as Walter White. He was also, you know, Malcolm's dad and Malcolm in the middle. So he's mm. got a very comedic bone. He is capable of that side. And, well, he even um, did um, Why Him with um, James yes, Franco. which I have seen. After Breaking Bad, um, yeah. It's an interesting film, that one too. Um, yeah, it's not the greatest film in the world, but um, <laughs> it exists. And this kind of kind of sits in the same category. It basically follows um, a college graduate, Miles um, Teller's character, uh, who basically is just getting a job. 
and mm. that's pretty much the premise of the film. There's really <laughs> not a lot of substance to it. Um, the title pretty much explains the, the central feature, and it's a father-son film, I guess. Brian right. Cranston's a dad who has worked his whole life and then gets let go and has to go back into the, the job market and struggles, but it, it's a stra- it was a strange film because it had such a you know huge cast, and yet someone passed this script, and I don't really understand why. Um, money but it's even the premise <laughs> is just not that interesting like it, there's right, nothing right. there's nothing in the premise and stuff like that um so but very confusing film um i feel like it's a it's a blip i don't know anyone that's uh watched it um, right. so did you start watching this today uh yeah is? i got like it's an 85 minute film and i'm 60 minutes in okay. like and <laughs> fair enough and i opted to you know i got busy doing other stuff i mean it's sitting on a 5.3 on imdb um okay so not, that's not the greatest score um i think it's a what is it five percent on rotten tomatoes and 31 percent on metacritic so mm. it really yeah got nothing to offer that film um uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Rotten Tomatoes later, especially when you look at um <laughs> you know obviously the the talent the talent pool with yeah that's it, fascinating but yep definitely felt like a actors getting a money grab kind of film um so, there's always great films to watch no. for artistic reasons and yeah well, creative I think, reasons but yeah <laughs> you lose a couple of brain cells while watching them yeah that's you know, great. Yeah. um yeah and that's all for me so over, uh, back well, over to you I think it's fair enough because you see a cast like that you don't immediately assume well this is terrible. Well, this is yeah, no but to it. I honestly, and, and not to, to throw it. not to throw shade at Anna Kendrick, but I think she misses more than hits with a lot of those films. I like Pitch, I love right. Pitch Perfect, but um, a lot of those films that she's kind of done the comedic sort of side and stuff, those kind of they just never seem to land um, all that that often. So, okay. um, and it's just strange because you like you look at like Miles Teller and you're like you're the kid from Whiplash that like blew my mind. Mm. Um, and then of course, you know, you got Brian Cranston being Brian Cranston. So it's very strange to see them in such a, honestly, like a Hallmark level film. Like you right. could, if you took all of the talent out of this, um, if you literally took all of the, the acting talents and we talked about it on the Black Widow episode with the whole three Oscar, no, one Oscar winner, two Oscar nominated actors and an right. Emmy winning actor. It's like you take them out and you put just nobodies in there. You would the the film would get significantly cheapened, I think, by its quality and standard. Right, um, right. And this yeah. film would go right in that graveyard two three in the afternoon shift that you see on Channel Seven. That's <laughs> um, oh, a good shift, mate. <laughs> yeah. So the other one that I watched then this is, I actually went to the theater. Went to the theater to watch this one. Um, I saw old. The M. Night film. Yeah, I've never seen an M. Night Shyamalan film. That's not true. I've legitimately never seen one. See, I thought the same thing. and I'm like, Well, I've seen The Happening. I have not. I've seen Devil, the elevator one. Oh, interesting. Split, uh, Glass, any of those? Um, Sixth Sense, all that. Yeah, nope. see, I missed oh, sorry, a lot I'm, of those. I should be saying no. I'm just shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just talking to myself here. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I've literally never seen any of his films. The Village, I haven't seen it. Um, it's strange. I think it's just growing up. He was kind of like the the memeable one. Um, right, yeah. And I know he has good films in there that people really like. Um, but, like, he, you know, I know Unbreakable was apparently a really good film. Sixth Sense. It's like... Because the whole big twist in Sixth Sense was spoiled long before even contemplating watching that film. Yeah, so that's true. 
it's never That's really true. motivated me. And I know that there's like really good performances in like Split from uh, mm. you know James McAvoy, but this one did actually intrigue me. Old. Yeah, I think I think the premise alone was a sort of a ah, why not? You know, I'm curious enough. And, and for those who don't know the premise, it is about basically a group of people. I think some are part of different families end up on a beach while on the holiday resort and they start growing mm. old. Uh, to be specific, they grow, I think, uh, they say a year every 30 minutes. So every hour they grow two years older and they must, uh, I suppose, figure out how to get out of the scenario, what's going on. And I had an interesting, let's say, flow with this film. I ultimately thought it was all right. Like, I've talked to people about it and they were curious enough based on my thoughts that like, you know, what, I'm just going to go see it myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't stop them. I was like, no, no, don't get on that bus. Don't go. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, I I liked it enough. Why don't you go and take a look at it yourself? Um, the first act was the writing in particular. Like the dialogue exchange was like really woeful. Like, <laughs> like I was like, Very contrived. I was like, oh no, Zeke. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the first, like, ten lines are, Ah, oh, I love your singing voice. Can't wait to hear it when you're older. Ah, oh, let's enjoy this moment. Oh, stop living in the past. Like, really just, like, god-awful. Like, what were you thinking? When they're on a typewriter just pushing their glasses. The <laughs> no, this won't make past the first draft. No, it's in there! Like, yeah, like, I was really worried. I was like, oh, God, is it really going to be this bad? Um, thankfully, once they actually arrive on the beach... Mm-hmm. I got a lot more intriguing because it's just that general premise is kind of cool to see and you like seeing mm. people like react to it and freak out and you know what do they do and I, I actually generally like the idea that a lot of them had different occupations one's like a psychiatrist one's like a doctor and they all have like their own sort of methods for, to try and explain what's happening mm-hmm. well let's look at it from this angle sort of reminded me of the exorcist and how like the first half is, is them trying to use medicine mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on and they realize yeah. that's not going to work um so I, I like like elements like that throughout, um, but it it's a really hard film to talk about. It really is because like there's interesting ideas in mm. there, and with that first act, I don't know whether it needed to be longer or way shorter. You know what I mean? Like I just I don't know if it needed more development for me to care about the individual characters more, or just less of it. Just dive right into they're on the beach mm. and let's go with the premise. I still can't quite figure out what it should have leaned towards more of. How are the performances? Um, they're fine. I was a little disappointed because, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the people I was looking forward to were like the younger cast. Alex Wolf, Eliza Scanlon, uh, Thomas and McKenzie, who's I cannot wait to see in Last Night in Soho. It's going to be incredible. I was kind of looking forward to them. And I think because they're sort of the kids, they kind of get sidelined a lot in this mm. film. Oh, go play over there while the adults talk. I'm like, but I don't care about the adults. I like those actors. I want to see Eliza Scanlon perform, you know? And so I was a little disappointed that they didn't seem to have as much to do, mm-hmm. especially so the um, character, I think she starts out as 11, the daughter. There's shots of her walking around the beach, sort of in her like a little bathing suit. And she's surrounded by all of these teenage girls in bikinis. And I was like, oh, this is cool. It's going to be like a body image thing. And she's going to like rapidly grow into that body and not know what to do. And they kind of didn't really do anything with that. I was like, oh, it's like that could have been awesome for Thomas and Mackenzie to like play that. And I feel like she wasn't necessarily told to play that in any way. So I didn't get enough of that. So just a lot of little things, missed opportunities. Yeah. I wanted to see more of like physical on screen 
age growing. Like I wanted to see hairs turn white mm-hmm. on screen, just like very slowly or subtly or wrinkles coming in or beards growing out. And the technology's there because they do this cool thing where one of them gets like cut with a knife and almost immediately it turns into a wound or like a, um, a scab or a scar. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's cool. So you've proven you can do it, technologically speaking, but they keep not doing it. Characters, they age off screen or they do some weird camera tricks where the framing is... The framing in this film is just something else, man. I don't know what to say. It's just like constantly crooked. Not in a like a four way like where a every shot's a dust tilt. tilt, but kind of yes. And I still can't tell you why other than the fact that he just used it to make the audience feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I just like things like that where they're panning around this group of people, but they don't adjust for anyone's height. So people's foreheads are constantly getting cut mm. off screen or like Eliza Scanlon's neck is where at the bottom of the frame. We don't see like past her head. Just things like that that are like, I don't know why. Why are you framing the film like this? There's lots of very strange, weird things. A lot of um, things I wish I saw instead of what we did where everything feels like it's sort of happening off screen. Um, ideas that were interesting but not fully explored mm. uh, but that said I still think it's like a fun it's still a fun premise and it's cool to see and I like where they take it mm-hmm. you know like in terms of well people eventually going to age into death yeah. you know they're going to grow too old and like those sort of stakes and like how many characters are we just going to like flick off and say you're done I like how far it goes with that that's what I'm going to say I like how far they take that part of the stakes and the ending where you don't really care about like the twist or the reveal because it's so it's interesting enough as it is mm-hmm. seeing them react to a situation. Um, like you look at Devil in the elevator, it's like oh you're you're interested enough by like them pointing fingers oh well, it's this person no this person is doing this. Um, so by the time you get to the reveal, it's like well, not that it wasn't needed, but it's not going to make or break the film for me. Yeah. That being said, I actually really think the ending's great for this film. Virtually every like payoff or um, plant is paid off and Hmm. um, when they actually explain what's happening physically and and, like the intent behind it, M. Night actually plays the van driver who drives the characters to the beach, which I thought was a nice little meta thing. (laughs) Oh, the director's taking his his characters to their fates, that kind of thing. I liked all of that stuff and I liked the explanation, Mm -hmm. so to speak, without spoiling it. So I thought it was, yeah. See what I mean? It's It's a very mixed bag for me. Yeah, I mean, that's I, for a lot of people, that's a lot of his films have that yeah. sort of mixed reaction, um, like twist for the sake of twists. But the yeah. the premise alone is in, uh, very intriguing. It's a, it just it's a shame that like yeah, the the actors that you were looking forward to their performances yeah. get Felt like they got, I mean, they, they have moments. Mm-hmm. There's a moment, and there's hints of it in the trailer. I knew this was going to happen before I watched the film, mm-hmm. so I'm going to say it. it's not really a big spoiler, but. There's a moment where Eliza Scanlon's pregnant and like there's a little flash in the trailer of her with the belly um, and that's how I knew ahead of time. Like they get moments like that. It's a really cool moment for her to like play that out mm-hmm. but like that's kind of it for some of these actors. I don't, I don't know. But she would have a baby within a 30 minute period. Wouldn't she? Mm, mm. That was very fast. Cool. It's very cool. It, some of it's really cool. So um, would I recommend this? Yeah. Go on. A really, really long yeah. A lot of E's in there. <laughs> if you've got nothing else going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's not a lot playing in cinemas right now, so I'm not going to, like, hound you for that. 
Well, which is no fair enough. Drama. It's time to jump in. Do you got anything to add for career stuff? No, not really. But um, I wanted to, before we move on to the film of the week, I really mm. wanted to talk about something that's been going on in the industry. Now, you're actually quite unaware of this. Yes. What's going on in regards to some sort of lawsuit between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. Mm. So this kind of blew up a couple of days ago. This was all happening simultaneously while the, the Bob Odenkirk news was coming out. So been a wild week. <laughs> Every time I check yeah. my phone, a bit of a wild week. So I want to get your take on this. I'll explain it to you because you don't really know the extent of what's happening. So this isn't the first time this has happened, by the way. We saw a similar thing happen with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place when that okay. film was brought to Paramount Plus or whatever their streaming service is. Mm-hmm. It's a little different because they still had a 45-day theatrical window release before that happened, which is half of usually how long a film would be in the theatre for. Mm-hmm. Usually you have your 90-day break and then it will come to DVD or whatever the case may be. Um, however, there was a dispute there and they had to fight for their rights because part of their pay slips or their paycheck came from a percentage of the box office which means a big chunk of it would have been taken out yeah. because people would just waited for it to come to streaming if they knew when the date was. Mm-hmm. This goes a little more complicated because for those who don't know, Black Widow came to Disney Plus the same day as its theatrical release, simultaneous release. And what we found out for this lawsuit is Scarlett Johansson, who was meant to get a huge chunk of her paycheck through box office earnings, is now potentially losing a lot of money because many of those people are watching the film for Disney+, Plus, in which she's getting 0% of that profit. Um, now, some of the numbers I pulled out is that on its first like weekend, I think, it made $60 million off Disney+, Plus alone. I don't know how much the percentage is that she was going to be taken. We know Marvel um, actors have gotten huge... Power. I think Robert Downey Jr., just off Endgame's percentage, not even like the flat rate he got paid just a percentage he made like 80 million dollars or something like that they're saying in this lawsuit that she should have been getting around 50 million for that okay which personally 50, i do 50 million just, just from the box office cut on top of and, and disney okay. have actually come out and said she's already made 20 million for the film but they're saying that she potentially lost about 50 million i think that might be an exaggeration but on the same token that's not a number they pulled out of their ass because you can look at the amount of money it made on disney plus divided by how many people actually paid for it and mm-hmm. then you know figure out the cost between that versus them going to watch it in a theater you add those numbers in um you account for the early pirating obviously the film's on disney plus so very much easy easier to, to pirate much easier to pirate exactly um so i don't think they're pulling that number out of their ass even though i think it is exaggerated um but yeah so that's kind of the situation going on and it looks like it might explode because there are several other actors now thinking of doing the same thing with some of the previous films from Disney earlier this year, like Emma Stone from Coella. Apparently, uh, Dwayne, uh, The Rock Johnson, and Emily Blunt are looking into it for Jungle Cruise. Yeah, so Jungle Cruise. This might turn into a really big thing. So what's but, what's your take, Zeke? Um, well, this just sounds to me like this was only a matter of time for this mm. to happen. Um, and it just so happens that Scarlett Johansson is the first one to take action against it. I think this was going to happen eventually. Um there needs to clearly moving forward their negotiations will have to just quite simply include both the streaming income Mm. and box office return right um i think it's what i don't like about it is um it would be interesting to see how this pans out because moving forward there really should be no um excuses for this to right. not be included in an actor's negotiation to be mm. on a film um, especially now that 
Marvel have moved away from those um, eight nine movie film deals that we were talking right, about. Right, like those those, con- those huge contracts those, that actors yeah, take. Yeah, they're moving more into these. You know, kind of do it Smaller, as you go. Smaller two, three, four. Yeah, exactly. Deals, yeah. Um, and that's just going to have to come down to negotiations in the future. I mean, if she's missing out on fifty million dollars, I mean, I, I, you want to just kind of sometimes want to just stick your hands up in the air. It's like it's fifty million dollars. How much right. money have you? I mean, a lot of these people are worth <laughs> two, three hundred million, right? Solely, and it's like so. We could all we could, if we're taking the the blue collar point of view, obviously, it's do you how much more money do you need? Right. Um, do you need another house? Is that what that is, or another car or stuff? And yeah, and um, and the thing is, I, I I see a lot of people saying that. My question, and again, I, I, I keep ramming this train, but it's like, I wonder like when, when Dwayne Johnson does file the same lawsuit, how many people are going to say the same thing? I'd say this, I mean, I'd say the same thing about him broadly, just generally. Right. But of course, there, but I'm, this, there's a lot of people I'm seeing. I, I wonder where their motives are coming from. I'm definitely not saying that's where you're coming but the, from. But the fact of the matter is it's like they're actors and this is their lifestyle. And for them, you know, 30, 40 million dollars doesn't mean as much as what 30 or 40 million dollars means to me and you because their lifestyles are completely different to us. You know, they, their tastes are way more extravagant and they have way more finances and they have way more things to manage because they've got a lot more money. So it's, a, yeah. you know, for a lot of us, for the general popul- uh, you know, public, the we look at that and go, oh, what, why do you need 30 million dollars more? Because it's like yeah. they probably, for them, it's like 30 million dollars isn't as much doesn't mean as much to them yeah. they probably burn through 30 million a lot quicker than we would and if we were in their shoes we would do the yeah. same thing um no exactly and you're right that the most people don't think about that because it's always it's always the grass is greener on the other side you know and I, and i always equate it to what if one day you walk into the the local store that you work at and your manager just decides to take 70 percent of your payout for a week mm-hmm. and you would just be like oh well that's fine because there's a homeless guy next door who doesn't have a job and because he has it bad I shouldn't. I should get ripped off for that. That's the same logic I use, yeah. and I think it is comparable. Yeah. I don't care how much money is involved. The, I mean, the art industry is a pyramid, yeah. and at the top of the pyramid is vast. Is a very small group of people that you know. For us, mm. we re, you know, as the public revolve, kind of we follow their journeys and revolve, kind of revere in their light and stuff like that. And the fact of the matter is, um, it they're they're in a different world to us so mm. her saying that i've lost 50 million dollars is is to us is like oh my god but it's like how much money have you made but for her yeah that's probably like like a decent like she's worked hard for it and she thinks she yeah, earns it well, exactly and, and he is the same you know dwayne johnson emily blunt and emma stone it's like mm. the fact of the matter is these they are they're people but then then their personas their myth their, right. myth their mythos you know for 99 percent of us will never meet these people in our life yeah. but if we do we're meeting them as an actor not as a person mm. um like we're meeting them like, you know if we ever meet them it's like oh cool i met that really cool actor um once but it's like we're really we're not meeting the person we're not getting to know the person we're not going and having a beer with them and mm. and getting to know them personally so for us it's like all we're seeing uh, all most people see is oh she's suing and and if we're looking at it from that that more personal context we can't no one can yeah um absolutely in our shoes because quite simply we don't know the situation and we don't know what their their lifestyles are worth i mean clearly that's a lot of that's a lot of money to me and you and we'd never need any more money right. ever again but they're in a different world they're the ones yeah. who are, you know well it's it's a lifestyle thing and even besides that it's like it's a contract disney broke contract and 
anyone who's defending Disney, I'm sorry, but it's like, if you're using that same excuse, oh, mate, she has too much money already. It's like, well, how much so money do you think Disney's contract, sitting on? In the contract negotiations, yeah, like you said, the 90-day turnaround, they've, they've only put them in cinemas for 45 days. Is well, that, that was for A Quiet Place Part two. 2. For this one, well, there was no release because it was simultaneous I think it's release. also it's tricky, though, too, isn't it? Now, obviously, because in particular, the last two or three years with the whole... Uh, climate of the world with mm. COVID, it made it very difficult to kind of honour those contractual obligations without yeah. pushing um, films back. Now, some for some in some cases, nearly two years. I mean, yeah. James Bond is coming still out. Still waiting on that one. Still yeah. waiting on it. Um, uh, well, because the, the, they probably want to honour. Probably they've got Daniel Craig's probably got a very similar contract in base, yep, and they want to give him the full ninety. And give him the full option to get whatever percentile mm. of that box office earnings is. The thing that I haven't mentioned this yet, but it probably is relevant, is um, apparently the lawyers like on Scarlett Johansson's side mm. actually did approach Disney before the release to renegotiate the contract for this very reason. And they essentially just ghosted her. So yeah, I guess they were hoping this went away, but they, they tried to do this before the film came out. Moving um, forward, I definitely think that most actors their lawyers who represent them will definitely mm. include in their contract negotiations yeah. a streaming streaming box office split like it's just the the the, the geoclimate if one that for every for anything for any reason it's made disney's life significantly easier in terms of overheads mm. like we we talked about on the black widow episode sort of like moving forward i really think the mcu stuff is going to push more and more to that disney plus service because yeah you know they they save so much on not having to do all of the billboard marketing and and all of this the, all of the variables well, are going to a cinematic still, I run. still see like Loki posters on like billboards and bus stops and stuff. There's still a lot of physical marketing for those shows. Mm. You know, when I, every time I but like, I guess it's they're more time. What they're probably more timeless when they're on a streaming platform. I guess maybe they right. age better. Um, I I think I think the the money that they save from it. First off, it's all direct money. So if someone sends Disney $35 to watch Black Widow early access, the money goes to Disney. It mm. goes in their pocket. They don't have to go through theater chains or anything like that. They don't have to do deals with, with yeah, with theater chains or, or just in terms of distribution. Mm-hmm. It's their own distribution. So it's the equivalent of buying a video game at a store or buying it on their digital storefront. There's just less middlemen. The money goes directly into them, and they get It'll a higher percentage of that money. It'll be interesting to see how it blends in with the, sh- the, the show exclusives, what the actor actor contracts were for all of the actors that yeah. were in the well, three MCU shows. You would think that would be a flat rate because it's harder to equate subscription numbers when you can't necessarily associate those payments to, oh, well, that subscriber only subscribed to watch this one show. It would have to be a flat rate. Yeah, so it, it would have, have to be because unless you do surveys, and even then that's just an estimate, and that's why this is really tricky. It's not as tricky because people are still spending money to watch Black Widow, so yeah, when it's they on, say it's, it's an on-demand situation, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's easier to quantify, and I think that's where the the fifty million dollar number came from. Yeah, but you're I right. It, I think it, just things need to change. Yeah, because it's and that's why I, I really wanted to address both sides of it. The personal, because obviously public persona. I can already, I, although I didn't know about the story until you presented it on the show. Right. I know what those comment chains would say. <laughs> like, it's going to be a bunch of people like us in in this class, this middle class, being like, "Oh, you guys all have too much money." But it's like, yeah, they do. But they've always had. It's yeah. the Hollywood. It's the Hollywood dream. It's the it. You know, and it's. I mean, it's still exists in australia and the uk and stuff but in america we talked about it the, the rich are 
absurdly rich. Like mm. that's like for them, you know, it's like was like Dwayne Johnson was the highest grossing actor what last last year or the year for before. For a few years, in for a, a row, few I years, reckon. and it's like he was grossing like over a billion dollars and stuff like that. It's like for like. Right. Well, he, his films were films yeah. were. Yeah, he didn't um, make that. But you can only. But imagine. he still gets a big percentage of yeah, that. Yeah, so of you those can cuts. only imagine he's probably he was he's, at least he would be at least pushing the hundred millionaires. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's like for them, money is no longer. We would think money is no longer a problem for them, but it probably it still exists because they probably have yeah. to live. You know, live their extravagant lives because it's all yeah. they've known for about. Well, in in Scarlet, you know, Scarlet's case, at least. 15 20 years now like yeah. she's been making you know significant amount of money so you know they got they got their habits they got their rich habits you know it's them it's and it's their career and i do think it's good that they're taking steps to this was only a matter of time this was going to happen exactly and i think um, that the stance i was saying this to a friend the other day my stance comes from you're right we can't know what it's like on a personal level to have that much money Maybe one day. Let's be optimistic, Zeke. <laughs> but for now, we don't. And the fact of the matter is, I'm going to look at this lawsuit and stick to my moral situation. And my moral situation is knowing that Disney is screwing their employees. And yes, their employee is very rich and very famous and very well-known, but she now has the well, capability to sue them because she's out of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And this could trickle down to lower employees. If they think they can get away with screwing Scarlett Johansson out of $50 million then why can't they just screw over every little employee who is struggling? I don't think Disney in particular need to be consistently called out on their mm. um, sort of shady corporate side, that they were, their corporate underbelly that they kind of have because they do have it and they they have been a, a collection of unethical behaviour and this is technically, uneth- from a legality point of view, this is unethical behaviour. and Yeah. And I think you're right. The sad part is if this was like Dwayne Johnson, there'd probably be a percentile of people that wouldn't comment or be as vocal um, because they think, you know, because it's, you know, because there is that level of misogyny in in the internet community still existing. And, but at the end of the day, it's like you said, if she's, she is someone who has worked for them and they haven't held up their contractual um, obligations and for that, they're in the wrong yeah, that's it's, it's plain and simple. It's it plain, really and is. moving forward, it's going to be very clear that all actors will have to engage when they're doing contract negotiations, uh, accounting for um, Disney on demand, basically. Yeah. Because um, if they don't, then they really won't have a leg to stand on. Because if we get a year and a half or two years down the track, and this situation happens again, you kind of got to start. Eventually, you got to start siding with Disney because it's like. Yeah. The, the 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 genie's out of the bottle now. Everyone's aware. Yeah, like people know where the spider is. If you're a fly, and if if flies continue to fly into this spider yeah. and die, then eventually, who are we going to start feeling sorry for? Exactly. No so one. it's like you know, in a couple of years, if The Rock does a film and he only agreed to box office, and because maybe COVID's still a, a problem, sadly, or or for one way or another, it's like Disney just don't do the full ninety; they do forty five and. Technically, they're still breaking a contract, but they probably would have much less of a, a, a hill, you know, foot stand on, yeah. basically, because it's just... Um, or maybe they'll start cutting that 90 days down to 45, and if the actor has a problem with it, they'll be like, well, tough. Like, yeah. Like, well, think- yeah, it becomes a balancing act, and then at that point, how many theatre chains are you going to start pissing off, and what do they start responding? Not every theatre we know locally 
had Black Widow on their screens. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, or, or any of these other superhero films, I wonder how much of that was just them deciding, screw them, we're not going to play mm-hmm. their film. Yeah. That is definitely the balance too. And and yeah, there are de- there's definitely um, cinemas out there that kind of already started to conscious- conscientiously object these films that are made by streaming platforms or for streaming platforms or take preference on streaming platforms mm. because it's like, well, stuff you like we're we're cinema pure like you yeah. know, and there might that might spawn a whole new uh, social movement in like, a cinematic movement that you have cinematic purists versus like streaming people yeah. a bit of tribal culture i'll fight the streamers i'll kill them well, it's, it's like you know <laughs> and i can i can I, I can definitely see that being a thing like um there have been some films in the last couple of years that have not like cinemas have gone we're not playing that because it's on a streaming platform like yeah. um what was the big one recently oh the irishman yeah, that's the that one I was bringing to my mind. Yeah. Because, and then there were people that were frustrated because it got its limited run just so it could have an Oscar run. Yep. Um, so it only really opened the door solely for its own kind of self-grandizing purposes. And Yeah. Well, I, part of it would have been Martin Scorsese. He wouldn't have done it. Well, that's not true. He might have still done it, but it was just desires on the filmmaker. You know, we want it playing in the theater. And Netflix is like, oh, well, we'll do it for this amount of money and play it on these limit a uh, limited run. Yeah. And then you're right, then some theaters are like, well, this is BS in, in out of our own moral stance, we're not gonna play it at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, luckily there are some theaters that don't care and that's how we saw it early. So Yes. <laughs> well, I, I respect both sides of that coin. If you're a cinema yeah. owner and you're like stuff you we're not playing streaming film films, we're gonna play films that you can only see in a cinema yeah, right now. That's I, fair enough. I respect that. So it's an interesting case, but it, I feel like it was always destined to happen eventually. Yeah. And thousand percent. And I think Scarlett's the perfect person to start this because yeah. she can take the hit if she yeah. loses. But don't, don't like do yourself a favor. Don't get annoyed that she's trying to get $50 million at, that is probably rightfully hers to yeah. be honest, yeah. because it's like, She's suing a, a multi-billion dollar company <laughs> too, by the way. She's a millionaire suing a billionaire monolith that is could easily, quite easily had done this respectfully and legally correct, but have chose to kind of just go hush hush on it yeah. until until now obviously now it's and i mean it got leaked out, out to public like this could have totally been behind closed doors, yeah. but now it's in public, so yeah. that's the I think that's the important distinctions we have to take from this because the fact of the matter is if her lawyers and and the disney uh, representatives had just discussed it behind closed doors this would have been resolved and none of us would have heard none of us would have been the wiser yeah um and that relationship that would have been public at clean. some point at some point probably even the lawyers or, or a publicist of her has probably been like we need to bring this public because of yeah. the of well the, once the lawsuit was submitted then it's submitted and people mm. can find it so exactly that's so. how it goes. I think it's clever for them to make this public. Absolutely. Mostly because I just want to see Disney just get slapped as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going to be <laughs> so As they continue upset. to pay for their subscription. As they as they continue yeah. to just hoard more things. <laughs> like, what don't yeah. they own at this point? Yeah. Um, it's a good It's so funny. It you know, going back to, yeah, with the, with the boys season two, it's like you can totally tell the parody um, vault is the corporate entity that owns all the superheroes. Yeah. It's totally just trying to do like an R-rated parody of what Disney has done with the MCU. 
Like I like how South Park just literally has the mouse. Yes. <laughs> so good. Very on the nose, but I love it. I love Bad it. Dramas. Well, oh, I think it's time we move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Shiba Baby. Danielle! Danielle! Please, Sonia! Moira's here and her daughter's Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Hi! Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just, like, show up to, like, the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I'm just a major again. Sweetheart, feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. Max worked for your father years ago. Really? Just try to behave yourself today. I'm not gonna blow him in the bathroom. Why do you keep looking over there? Hi, I'm Kim Beckett. I don't think she's pretty. Malibu Barbie is not pretty. I mean, she's just like basic. You are such a good kid. Danielle! Look at this Oh my god. Is she okay? I already have a plan and a path, so. So you just study and uh, don't eat. And go out with your beautiful friends. Is that it? Is that your life? Yeah. Well, yes, that's my life. Wow, lucky you. A college student attends a family shiver where she is accosted by her relatives, outshined by her ex girlfriend, and face to face with her sugar daddy and his family. Sounds a little stressful, Zeke. Mm. So this is the um, it's the feature debut, right? I believe so. For Emma uh, Seligman. Um, so Seligman. I'm gonna say it's Seligman, but yeah. um, yes. Um, sorry if I get that wrong. Um, based off I her forgive you on short her film two years earlier. <laughs> yeah. So um, we both actually caught this short film, which is available on Vimeo. So it's seven it's minutes. Fairly easy to find, and. Um, it was interesting to compare because I totally, first off, even just on paper, hearing about this, it's like, oh yeah, this is sort of the whiplash situation mm-hmm. with Chazelle mm-hmm. and how he made a short film, turned that into a feature, and the short film consists of essentially what is just a small scene from the actual feature. And in the case of Whiplash, mm-hmm. they used the, some of the exact shots and just regrade them, just put like an extra orange tint over mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't know if they went to that extent with this film, but it was a very similar story to yeah Berkeley, it definitely know. feels like she might have had to do the film as some form of um i'm just gonna gauge her age it feels like a graduate film i think it is and um, the article i mentioned earlier the chaotic bisexual is i think it actually does say in here that it was a graduate film or some sort of school project that she then turned into a film yeah afterwards. so she graduated uh the myu undergraduate film and television program in may 2017 um uh-huh. from and yeah, NY New York University, I guess that is. Um, oh, but she's Canadian. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, Shiva uh, Baby began as a grad project, a short film of the same name. Makes that's what, sense. That's what it says. Um, it yeah. definitely feels like kind of a grad film. Um, sort of like your to your Thunder Roads and your uh, 
Um, Even your baby teeths. Your baby to teeth. To an extent. And, um, oh, God, what's and the like name of that? Australia. There's an afters feature um, sequin in the blue room. That's it. I think it came out last year. I think that was a very similar mm. situation. That one was also sort of about sexuality in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah, so this, this film's really intriguing because obviously, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times on the show. Um, so, well, at least, yeah, you know, mm. I always promote that I love films that explore a part of culture that I don't really have that much knowledge of. Right. Um, and obviously, I was, I even said before the show, um, here in Western Australia and Perth in particular, there isn't um, a huge presence of Jewish people um, or like we were trying to even think of anyone we know that is from um, that heritage, but predominantly in Australia, a lot of Jewish families are based over East. Predominantly we have a lot of uh, Italian and, and Greek and mm. people, and Portuguese, uh, and Portuguese people, <laughs> uh, like yourself. Yeah. So we, we've got more that style. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's more uh, what I'm accustomed to with this, this right, it's a new uh, world. Yeah. And obviously in America, there actually is quite a large, um, you know, Jewish population. So, this is definitely um, what feels like for her, like you said, like a baby teeth or a, with Chazelle, with Whiplash and, and, and Thunder Road. These feel like projects they always wanted to make and they were just laser focused on producing something that mm. would explore what I assume for her is is what she grew up with. Yeah, for sure. And from what I read, I mean, we even, you know, the trivia of the week, she was six mm. years old um, when she was at, let me get the name of it again, the... The circumcision party. Can we just call it that from now? Yes. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with that. Let's just call it that. Um, it's called a briz, a B R I S. Mm. Um, so you're right. Like even just knowing that, it's like well, she's grown up, you know, in this Jewish family, and and this is obviously a very clear representation of that and and her experience. But what I what I thought was so interesting, you know, you were talking earlier about how people are comparing this to Uncut Gems over and over again, and yet, yes, there's obviously a Jewish connection between the two and. Obviously, Adam Sandler's character. I would say it's also to do with the um, sort of the claustrophobia and tension. Mm, absolutely. Tension yeah. building. That's um, sort of the other you, one. That's the big thing that I, when I was watching it, I was like, I had the same sort of stomach churning experience <laughs> that I had when I was watching Uncut Gems in the cinema. Um, not oh, probably, I, always, I always forget you saw Uncut Gems in a cinema. You I suck. I did. I got to see it in the... <laughs> uh, I got to see it in the... Uh, uh, was it Museum of Moving Image oh, in New God. York too? You, you definitely suck. So I got to see it literally. They shot it in New York, didn't they? Yeah, a thousand percent they did. You suck. So it was that was real amazing. <laughs> I got to see an Oscar with my own eyes. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole Space Odyssey exhibit. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the cool thing is I got to see this film at its preview screening. This again, this was only a few weeks ago. This film's been like. Probably this is probably the biggest word of mouth film of 2021. That's it. I think absolutely. You know, it's been around for several months now, and I'm a, we almost made this our 2020s pick for the decades challenge, mm. and it lost to Dick Johnson is dead. But th- that's how early we're talking in terms of this film has been around word of mouth, and people have been talking about it and comparing it mm-hmm. to Uncut Gems. You're right, specifically for like the claustrophobic filmmaking around it. And what I thought was interesting watching the short film and then comparing it to this was it's obviously still there, like the the motor mouth characters and just the tension of the overall situation. But the short film didn't quite hone into it the mm. same way that the feature does in terms of the way it's shot. You know, the framing is really tight. The editing is like really sort of intense and cut, cut, cut. And the music, it's like Jordan Peele horror music with the strings snapping yeah, and all that stuff. It's, it, is. it is wonderful. And the short doesn't even have a soundtrack. At least mm. I don't think it does. No, not not a, not as prominent as like you said the Jordan yeah. Peele us 
sort of <laughs> plucking the violin yeah. plucking um i want to i honestly we talk about the uncut gems thing and i said this before the show but i'm gonna read it out so lauren on letterbox who gave this five stars oh, lauren um that's all it's got there <laughs> she wrote uncut gem for hot girls who think considering law school is a personality trait um that is one of my favorite comments i've ever seen i might start doing letterbox like my favorite letterbox comment for the film of the week Oh, that's a, that's a nice little challenge. Nice yeah, little, I, like I can do that. Um, yeah, no, that's that a one... good one. I mean, there's lots of great little comments in here. My favorite, because it hit me personally, I know people like this, is when they're like, oh, she's so impressive. She has free businesses. Why does someone need free businesses? <laughs> that line kills me. I love yeah. it. Yeah, there are some really good one-liners <laughs> in, in here. Um, obviously, you know, we haven't talked too much about the, the film itself. We've been talking a lot mm. about the the filmmaker. Like, like we were saying, obviously, because this is very a personal world she was able to really capture it yep. accurately um and that's great bringing that filmmaker context it's very much in like that my big fat greek wedding way okay. albeit that they probably do ham it up she does ham it up and play it more for comedic effect whereas right. this very much is just trying to give a realistic depiction of kind of the claustrophobia and a feeling that someone could have at one of these events if they aren't yeah. a big fan of them like she is um, yeah. who is, you know, she's also probably a, an out, an outsider in this world because uh, in, in this particular family um, or collective because of certain, um, you know, s- sexual preferences right. and ideology dif- ideological differences that she has with the rest of her family has really ostracized her from this lifestyle, yeah. which really we, we capture throughout the film how uncomfortable she is kind of from start to finish. It's interesting because... You're a thousand percent correct with the, um, especially the secondary family or the wider family that have the comments, like, have you found a boyfriend yet? And clearly don't know that, you know, one of the girls there is actually an ex-girlfriend of hers mm-hmm. or her sexuality or the fact that, you know, she has like that app and, and goes around and has sugar daddies essentially. Um, the, a lot of the family don't know that, but her mum, there seems to be a tinge of knowing in there. Oh, her mum's aware. Which is interesting, think, sure. yeah. Like, she seems to be more aware than virtually any other character. Um, well, except for, obviously, the two two very particular characters mm. he's trying to avoid the whole time. But um, otherwise, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that, that she's the one that sort of um, almost sees through it in a way, kind of understands that there is a relationship with the girl there mm-hmm. or, or that there is some awkwardness between between her and, and the guy. is it Max. It's Max, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I'm just looking at the cast now. Like I said, hopefully I'm not going to be too rusty because it has been a few weeks since I saw this. But, um, I mean, that helps because if so much of the film, it's, you know, it's your favourite, Deke. It's a one-location film. I do. For the I most like one-location yeah. films. I like <laughs> them under 90 minutes too, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, no, this this film doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, it it honestly never kind of has contrived reasons for moving characters from A to B. It very And the fact that it's all in real time... Yes. Um, ...from start to finish is just things that really help add to that tension build. Um, yeah, because you, you just naturally. feel the pressure cooker going. Well, it, it's, it's more just the fact that, um, you know, we're literally following her and, and literally how suffocating one of these events mm. would be being in the position that, albeit she has put herself in um, yes. to an extent. Yes and no, but yeah. Uh, well... I'm I'm going to there are my problems my gripes with the film come from oh, her as a character. Interesting. Um, okay. Cuz I actually think she's sometimes not very compelling 
like, well, she's not very, like, she doesn't have to be likable. Like, we've always talked about protagonists aren't necessarily a good guy or a good girl. But right. some of her behavior is, is erratic and, and sometimes a little frustrating and a little confusing. And there are a couple of little plot moments that I'm like, eh, I didn't, um, this one that really sticks out like a sore thumb that I couldn't quite get my head around. That It, it was basically a moment in which a character did something and another character found out about it because of sort of just um because because plot moment is what i'm going to call okay, it because but we'll walk through that in a bit in a little bit um i i find it interesting um because you do like find her likable and she's very humanized but she is also kind of a for the most part very scattered person throughout the the whole uh experience because she's constantly after you know the big reveal and literally i think it's the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film of kind of the the hook is very right. early on of of max being there max being there right um it it sort of that's what keeps you going for a bit and then obviously the information within the next 10 minutes we find out that you know max is married and 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 mm. they have a kid yep. so it just kept stockpiling um and we she seems to have this relationship with one of the girls there that was actually quite mean to her on her first her engagement with maya her friend right right was well they're very they're very clearly exes by the, at the start of at the film. start yeah i see that's funny you got that vibe because i i didn't get that that much for like the x5 i got okay. more like a they were like Originally, you know, I thought they were like related and cousins. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So I completely misread that one. In but. all fairness, the the logline does say ex girlfriend. So part of me kind of like I knew going in that, that mm. okay, that must be the ex girlfriend, the aforementioned. Sure. So that might be part of the reason I just sort of knew that. Yeah. Um, maybe if I went in completely blind, I might have been confused as well. I'm not too sure, but yeah. She turns that one around pretty quickly, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then not, and then again. It's, it's just no. It's a, roller a, it's a sporadic relation. I mean, like we think of our exes, and if we're forced into the same room with them, like what kind of roller coaster rides are going to happen? Especially <laughs> if there's clearly still feelings. And, and you can't for go. Each other. I hundred percent agree yeah. with you on that one. Um, yeah, so but they've both been shitty to each other, which is, they is were. Fun. It's and, fun. And it is it is, but then have moments of of caring for one another, and then right. and kind of go up and down. The whole way through, um, her performance, Renee. Um, I'm gonna say it's it's either Senate or Senoir, um, depending on her uh, if it's a silent T or not. Um, the lead. Um, oh, gee, I was like scanning through the cast, and I was Rachel, like, oh, it's Rachel <laughs> Senate or Senoir. I'm sorry, it's either one or the other. I'm gonna go with Senate. I'm gonna yep. go with my Western way of saying it. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Who's the, notably in, of course, both the short film and the feature film. So she's great. Yeah. I, I really enjoy what I really like is um, just little subtle nuances that um, it's like she put makeup on for the event and then her mum acknowledges it but it's um, you know like she's not got like you know you can see she's got a little bit of like skin damage and stuff like she looks very normal like normal okay right yeah, yeah, some yeah. Real grand, I really like the grounded realism of this whole film no one's a caricature no, um, no. and that's what I really like but her performance is, is, is really good yeah. I really enjoy her performance. Well, it's um, great because it's it's such a tight rope, tight rope that she has to hold. Not only just in terms of having to play the moment and like not convince me, but even the audience. The audience has to understand 
what she's going through just basically purely through like facial expressions and um mm. you know and the way the way she sort of slips in her dialogue when she's talking to Max and they're both trying to be like oh well we met uh we met here no we, no we met over mm. here so there's a lot of tightrope just performance wise that she's walking through and um I just, yeah I remember thinking she was great as yeah. Well. Yeah. progressive her progressive descent into being just more and overwhelmed to how deep she's getting into the situations also uh quite interesting mm. i find um and then the, the fact that you know she's gone on this, this sugar daddy app and she has this sugar daddy yet the person that's kind of the bread getter in the family is actually the uh the wife of the two she's right. the, um so the money that he's got is actually not technically his money it's it's this what, other it, woman it's funny because it, there is a bit of a power dynamic initially between the two of them, between Max and um, Danny, where we see him sort of like almost laughing when he realizes, oh, this isn't the person who she portrayed herself as when we first met through the app or when, when he was paying her. That, oh, you're, you're a babysitter, huh? Is that right? Is that what you're saying? That These little things that they're kind of doing the short film as well, but mm-hmm. it works better in the feature because we've sort of seen that develop a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it gets played when the wife comes in with the baby. And you're right, we start to realize that she's actually the bread maker and sort of higher in the power dynamic of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's... And the only way like yeah. a character like Max can feel powerful is over a, a younger woman who's about mm-hmm. you know 20 years younger and is you know just out of college you yeah know, who well that's another one sort of has like... that college lostness too like a character is very clearly constantly in conflict with itself as a person she yeah. is like her... well even just the confusion between is she a high school graduate excuse me or a uni graduate mm. and like the mixture of people different saying different things and um i, I loved all of that yeah it was great i mean a lot of the anxiety that's introduced in the event is you know it's it's a it's interesting that she um of some of the things she does um throughout the the course of the evening that make her life difficult but she more difficult yet she's knowingly doing it too um i think that she her her as a character does have self-destructive tendencies mm. but was also just incredibly sporadic in terms of her mindset because i think she really at that point i mean not to go too far ahead, but the, the one of the final scenes when she finally hits her breaking point really shows that, you know, she, it's, she's kind of lost in herself and mm. where she is at personally. And, you know, when, you know, especially as a younger person, I think this really captures that mindset that honestly, a lot of early 20 year olds go through, you know, people in their early twenties, you know, you and I are both in that time mm. where we get to a weird point where we finish university or on the verge of finishing university or we're at that period where some some people have seemingly got there you know like her her ex my you know Maya is going to law school and is right, right. very uh, on track and accomplished and sort of a golden child among this this group this um this you know this jewish uh, collective and um yet she, this one most people don't even know what degree she's studying yeah, and, and the, to a, the gender business to an extent which, uh, which is excellent. danny doesn't even know what um uh what she's studying right really she well it's all it's all about that vagueness and her being afraid to really tell her peers and her family what she's actually doing for fear that they're going to judge or for fear that's not what they expect mm-hmm. her to do and i think it's interesting i feel like we talked about this earlier or you were sort of curious what my overall message takeaway was from this film sure 
and for me, it was majority that, the idea that, majoritively that, I should say, I should put the L-Y in there, that she doesn't have anyone to talk to, you know, and she could be unashamedly herself, you know, someone who enjoys the power that she has when she meets these men, or she studies this, or does that, or has these plans to do this, but she can't talk to anyone, because between her parents and the family and these other people, and for the majority of the film, her ex-girlfriend, she can't talk to those people, she can't express the why and the how of her decisions. Well, I'd, I'd argue the only point of real unity she has in the show is one of the last shots, and it's actually mm. in pure silence, ironically, yeah. Yeah. that she actually finally gets a moment where someone actually is hearing her. Yeah, obviously she's not exactly. saying anything, and it, t- it takes it literally come have to wait for that last shot. Um, what I would find this is what I find really um, what I'll post to you is okay. this all takes place following a funeral. To a character that honestly has no, technically no weight to the plot other than pretty much getting everyone in a, in this room. Right. right? Well, it's, like, yeah, it's a vehicle to get everyone in the room. Exactly. Um, why do you think they set it at a funeral? Hmm. Why not I a think... wedding or something like another, f- or, you know, another, uh, why? why? I, I, my guess is, I guess it's to do with like, the sensibility or the lack of sensibility that Danny would have in that situation. So if it were a wedding, there is a structure to a wedding where the focus is primarily on like this couple. And that's a totally interesting thing you could have done as well is have sort of this Jewish wedding regarding the guy that she's sleeping with. If Max was a guy getting married, for example, you know, that would be a fascinating angle to take. I don't know if they could have done that because they wanted to show that he's married, he has a kid, his wife's successful with free businesses um, I think it's just the sensibility. It's that when she has that line, like, oh, mum, who died? <laughs> that she's not quite sure. I think I think that's part of it, is everyone's in a heightened sense of emotion because they're all upset about this death or they're at this wake and then they can judge her. Why weren't you at the funeral? And So I uh, I see what you mean. I But off the top of my head, I don't... I, I can see why. I can totally mm, see why. Okay. I, I can't think off the top of my head a better place to put everyone in. Mm. Um, I reckon it's the heightened emotion. Okay. And the fact that everyone's there sort of feeling sad about this. Yeah. Um, I definitely yeah. think you're right about the... I think the one of the chief focuses is definitely power. and mm. It's power and identity. Um, and I know that those two things kind of go hand in hand in a lot of films. But I think it's... If, when I say identity for her, I think... We never, we don't actually necessarily get an answer to what her identity is because this was just one evening in which. Yeah. Um, but I, you're right. I don't think she even knows necessarily. No, because it's like, for example, she's a you know she's a bisexual woman, and you know in the Jewish faith uh, that doesn't seem to be looked too kindly on. People don't talk about it. It's always whenever they're talking about oh you should get a man, you get a man. Even in yeah. moments, even when she hits rock bottom, her mum goes oh you'll find a nice man. Like right. It's, it, it's that sort of thing, and obviously she herself is not. Uh, as religious as as sort of her parents and the people around her, um, she rarely goes to these things at all. Mm. So, um, and by the end of it, it's not like that that secret comes out. And in fact, the only person that really understands all of the stuff that's going on in her her mental state, or at least to an extent, I don't even think she finds understands her completely, is Maya, her ex girlfriend. Mm. Um, well, she's the one that I think that that's the. the the key in the door moment at the end is when she finally listens to her. And yeah, they kind of reconcile and kiss and then that sort of bounces back out again, which makes a discovery in the bathroom. But 
that you're right. It goes back to that last moment when they're holding hands in the back of the car, or even before that when she asks like, "Why are you doing it?" It makes me feel powerful. What I can't remember the line exactly. Um, Maya is the key to the story, and that's why I think the short film, as much as I appreciate it, is significantly cheapened because that Maya character is not in the short, mm-hmm. and it almost feels like when I read people saying, "Oh, the message is too vague or too unclear." Are you not talking about the short film? Because I can see that. Mm. But here, Maya completely wraps the bow in it. She's the one that she can talk to and feel safe opening up to. Mm. Because you're right. If she holds on to the secret, it's easier to just pretend you're straight instead of revealing to this whole family of your sexuality. It's Mm. easier. But it creates that claustrophobic feeling because their expectation never changes. Mm. And... um, I think that's sort of where it ties, so that's that's why I land with the Maya character. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's some really, because for me it's like, you know, you take the 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 sugar and the sugar daddy angle and the the sugar daddy app uh, with the character of Max. I think that mm. plot runs its course, um, and we do actually start to, um, you know, when sort of everything is is said and done with, with Max's character. Um, his wife definitely takes pass of the baton and the stress kind of gets carried over because I think the scene the scene that um, Danny has with Max in the bathroom is really kind of one of the summations of, of power in that relation. And then when mm. they later have the engagement in the kitchen where he's like, yeah, we need to, we need to call it quits on this. And then the, the stress comes back to like, the engagement with the with the wife yeah. character. Well, that that's something I want to um, ask you actually is to do with with the wife character. Th- there seems to be a clear indication that she's she knows that something like woefully incorrect is going on. Oh, like, I think she knows with at least still twenty five minutes left in the film. Like, right, she knows. She almost knows. I think she starts to know as soon as she recognizes the the bracelet, even mm. as early as oh, that. Ah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which bracelet. is only at about halfway through the film where she's like, "Oh, you got it! In, you got it in high school, but it was only it's a released." Brand new thing, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that was kind of the first real indicator of me thinking, um, "Yeah, and, she's already onto this." And the thing I didn't even think about till now as well, because my thing is like, "Oh, well, when's that conversation going to happen?" And it never really happens on screen. No, because we're not really following... Because I think we're not following Max's story. No, but I almost think it actually ties in a bit to what we were saying earlier with just not being open or someone that would rather keep a secret than face the consequences of revealing it. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're holding on to that conversation because they just don't want to have it. And it almost feels like a parallel to Danny's journey as mm-hmm. well as someone who would rather keep a secret. So I've, I, I actually really do like they don't have that on screen because now it's this vague thing of, well... Oh. Do they ever have this conversation? Do they spend I mean, the rest of their lives? Not a lot. Of, not a lot of things are left resolved. I mean, mm. resolution. I guess the only resolution is she gets a bit of closure that she gets someone to finally explain the rationale of why she used the app and right. why she thought it was empowering and and why she feels so trapped and, and claustrophobic at these events. Um, but she's. You could tell she's. You know, even before all the events with Max transpired that this was a normal thing due to her, you know, her sexuality, the fact that she's bisexual and stuff. And she had a ex-girlfriend, which just compounded the stress, but it's, it, it's interesting. Cause I think, yeah, things are left unresolved deliberately. And, it, and I yeah. think it makes the film better for it because he doesn't get his comeuppance on screen. Sure. No. Um, but he, he never has the power. I don't think in his relationship either. Hmm. Like, you know, he's the one who, who's kind of staying at home and, and 
latching off his wife's fortune. So the fact of the matter is, as soon as she's ready to cut ties, he's going to be left with, with nothing, really. Um, you know what I just realized? Because her, his wife specifically, I was like, who does this remind me of, like, her performance? Okay. It reminds me of the adoptive parents from Juno. Oh, yeah. And that I don't remember her name. I know it's Jason Bateman plays the husband. And that has its own term, own mm. term or that really, that's totally who it reminds me of. I, I uh. kind of don't know why, to be honest. I don't think it's the same actor. That's interesting. Yeah. Is it Kim? Is that the name of the, is it, it's Max and Kim. Kim, yeah. Kim's the wife. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm looking at this vague casting list that's not in a really correct order. Order at all, yeah. I'm no. The <laughs> worst part about Letterbox on your, like, computers is it doesn't show you the picture. In oh, that's, it's that's, just the tag. It's a bit frustrating. Um, yeah, I got the photo here. This is definitely her, born in '86. Yeah. Um, it's, and she's not in Juno, according to this thing. <laughs> I was wondering if the same, but definitely not the same person. Plus, would, the films would, are more than ten years. I was going to say she would be like, she probably yeah, could play Juno. <laughs> yeah, Juno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, it. I think yeah, because she always has the power, and then when she has the scene, her scenes with Danny, she has the power. Mm. Like she's a very intimidating but what yeah. she particularly um does uh diana agron um mm. who plays kim um some of her stares gave me shivers <laughs> they were cold they stare. gave you shiver babies <laughs> um you really felt yeah like you felt her like just have that pure intimate like that boss lady intimidate as much as danny's character likes to make fun of that boss lady three business sort of yeah, ideology yeah. yeah that's awesome i love that <laughs> i just love that line so um much. yeah she never feels like the ho- there is definitely power dynamics going on in, in these events and they they really try and sell that as as a, as a cultural thing too i think just the, yeah. the power comes from like age and wisdom and the culture and the faith and the lifestyle and in, in which uh our protagonist just feels a fish out of water with everything yeah well there's an element of it and i can relate to this maybe not as much but kind of with the mm. in my wider secondary portuguese family is that you never feel like you grow up in their eyes mm. you know and i'm someone i'm obviously 24 now mm. and when i go to a christmas party it never quite feels like i've aged beyond like a certain point Mm-hmm. When they still talk to me the way they talked to me when I was like twelve. Twelve, yeah, yeah. I, I could, I can see that. Did we say twelve at the same time, or did you know I was going to say twelve? Because um, that's a suspiciously specific crazy, age. <laughs> um, no, but I, I get what you mean. Like that, right. like especially like she always kind of the only times we actually see outward bursts of maturity and and sort of adult thought thought provoking are towards her mum in mm. confidence, not in front of yep. anyone. Yeah. And to Maya in confidence, not in front of everyone, because they both have kind of a family persona. They're both there cursing at each other and calling each other like horrible names. And then mm. as soon as one of their relatives pass, they just snap into like preppy schoolgirl <laughs> like presentation, which, yeah. um, you know, obviously myself not being from um, a large family and stuff, we don't really have that mentality. But, you know, okay. I've I've got enough friends to know that that's exactly how that works. Right, right. Um, and yeah, no, I just it's it's really interesting that yeah, we only times we really get to see her explore like her sort of her pro feminist ideologies and and stuff like that is in confidence away from the family's quote unquote you know public eye. Yeah, they're you know. able to have those conversations then because she never just... even talks about any of that stuff with her dad yeah. at all. No, he's, well, you he's, can't. Um, <laughs> and I think that really it's funny because to really capture that isolation at such a crowded family event that's meant to be 
perceived as this intimate, somber experience mm. to have all of this chaos kind of happening in and around her, I think, is is really impressive. Some of the things I really enjoyed were, like, the framing of shots. Um, yeah, yeah. I think... The framing, the tightness of the, the focus, and all, it just yeah, all comes together. Really also, well. just, like, shallow depth of field, but having stuff happening in the background. Like, one of my favourite shots is that shot when... She find he, she finds out that Max has a kid, yeah, and a wife, and we're sort of focused on her, but we can see their bodies moving in the in the and background. It was just like that is the perfect way of capturing that moment from mm-hmm. her point of view. Um, and I like that we always stay with her point of view, like it's just following her through yeah, this yeah. event. Like everyone else is around her is like almost like characters in a stage play. They come in for a little bit and they come out and yeah, yeah. And, the blocking's fantastic mm-hmm. throughout this film. I think the one exception remind me because again it's been a few weeks is when Maya finds actually, I guess she finds the phone in the bathroom it's the only time we break that's the only time okay cool and it's one of that's my biggest gripe with this film interesting because okay. obviously so the scene in which um, Danny leaves the phone in the bathroom um, is after she goes in there because uh, a, a outward standing screw is on a drawer oh, right. she gets, gets caught stabbed, on yeah. it and stabbed through it by the way, someone's going to put some bubble wrap on. That's crazy, having an exposed <laughs> screw like that. His family uh, got bigger problems than fry. That was like that was like some that was like some horror movie level. Like, how has no one seen this? How was right. how is she the first one to be uh, punched by this? I know I'd, I'd be in a house for two minutes and I'd get I'd get skewered by it. Um, anyway, and and of course at this point she knows um, you know Max has a wife, has a kid, and in a a I think a sporadic and chaotic uh attempt of power like power reclamation she sends um a couple of like nudes Mm. in the bathroom but then puts the phone down and leaves it in the bathroom and there's not something that distracts her that away from that scene um, apart from someone knocking right um to use the bathroom and she puts it down opens the door and has a small exchange and the guy goes into the bathroom the fact that that guy didn't see that phone, or no one at that like didn't see. Well, that wasn't phone. it? Under, it was under like a towel or something, wasn't no, it? No, wasn't. It was off to the side, no? okay, in full line of sight. Um, and only the only other character, you know, and the only time we break perspective is when Maya goes in the bathroom, sees the phone, logs. Obviously, knows that she would know the log. Yeah, code she knows it was her she's phone. Yeah, an ex. So that's fine. That's motivated. Um, and then just you know discovers the whole sh- uh, sugar. Daddy stuff, but she, uh, she. And that's when she finds out Max is that guy. Or does she? Ever I feel find like it? I feel like she probably knows. She knows the behavior is already weird because she said, "Why do you keep staring at yeah. that that girl?" Obviously, the wife. But um, so, she probably put two and two when she saw the phone there. Or I think so. Um, I don't even know if that part's necessarily important. It's just important that she does it in the yeah. first place. It's just a bit con- like to me that was just like I. Especially because that was just after they like amended and kind of got on the same page. Right. And yeah. That fallout did need to happen because at that point Danny still hadn't been completely honest with, right. with her, um, and th- sort of was they were almost mutually using each other to get through the event more than anything. It felt mm. like they weren't still communicating to each other that effectively. Um, but then to have that, you know, fallout again, then the breakdown, then the reconciliation. Happened in the space of about twenty minutes, so it was a bit felt a bit rushed okay. in that bit. But I didn't like that because the fact uh, it just didn't seem like a realistic way of losing that phone at that point in time. Okay, um, and sort of was just like, oh yeah, well of course she's 
only just re- and also only just realized that i find that tough to believe a, a young 20 year old forgetting and leaving their phone and not realizing for 45 minutes 50 minutes right so yeah yeah it's just like it was a little bit more like okay now your plot's telling you we need to put the phone there <laughs> there was that once that you remember when i left my laptop in nando's <laughs> this is true <laughs> i'm not defending the film yeah. i just say it reminded me of that um, you have those moments like, wow, I just forgot this really valuable laptop <laughs> at a table. That's a very true. That's <laughs> very drove true. away. But uh, luckily, no one took it. It was, it was my one totally gripe. Fine. Yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. Well, mm. as opposed to gripes, do we want to talk about our highlight scenes? Sure. For Shiver Baby. Sure. Um, I'd say my highlight scene, honestly, yeah, probably was that first reveal with that framing and that shot and that sequence. Mm. I really like that scene and I like... Um, the the quintessential shiver baby moment where um kim's asking uh it's kind of calling danny's bluff and asking her to hold it hold her child baby, yeah um and the tension build in that scene is, is really good because there's just so much back and forth and max tries to interject and yeah and you you know you just know she is only offering this baby to to get to her to do this because a mother with about, I don't know how young the baby is. It's pretty, a power move. Pretty young. It's a power move because she wouldn't be saying, oh, it's not a problem. Just hold my baby. Mm-hmm. Most mothers wouldn't just do that to some random girl. So mm-hmm. she's doing that very purposefully. Yeah, you're a babysitter, aren't you? Yeah, like, exactly. It was exactly. pure pure power move stuff. Great writing, great performances. And mm-hmm. and just the camera work too with like pushing in on, on Danny's face and having that press in. was, And then just that really awkward hold so clearly holding her wrong <laughs> not that i would know i would do much better but That's i also because it's a little bit of back and forth about whether it's her own baby at one point <laughs> which is not yeah i think the timing didn't make sense but um i do i just remember that now yeah my highlight scene is probably and frankly i, I remembered it as we were talking uh would be the scene when yeah they first all come together her her parents and max and that exchange we talked about earlier where like, oh, you're, you're a babysitter. Is that right? Is it, you know, is that how you pay the bills? And she doesn't have any bills to pay. We pay the bills. That, just that whole exchange and how it goes. Mm. And it's near identical in the short film, but it, it works so well um, in this film. And like I said, it works better because you have more context for the guy. Absolutely. And understanding that there's been lies well, shared between them. the first scene in the film was the last scene they shot. Yeah, no, I, I didn't notice that as well when I was going for my trivia one strange um, thing about that scene is it's like Max clearly has feelings for her. It feels like, like there's a weird... yeah. Well, there, there's that sense of you know she's in it. It's a it's essentially a job to her because she's getting paid for it and she feels powerful Whereas for doing like, it. He gets emotionally invested. It's almost a bit of a a, a gender stereotypical reverse, almost. But mm. I think I mean the reason he's there, he's probably escaping from some aspect of his family that he doesn't enjoy. So it's, it it is an escape, it's an emotional escape for him. Um, so I think that's yeah. part of it as well. And I, maybe it's a... Yeah, because of the absence of, of his partner and stuff like that. I would say it was... I would have said it could have been an attempt to reclaim some of his sort of, like, masculinity, but he mm-hmm. actually... Yeah, like you said, gender subversion definitely is prevalent in that scene. And he's just a bit of a sleaze bag, isn't he? <laughs> just a little bit. Using his using his wife's money to buy buy this poor form. Just oh, poor form. <laughs> oh, he's just a deplorable character, really. Yeah, no, Max, no. we don't we don't have much respect for you on this podcast. No, sad to say. But... but that being said, Shiver Baby is currently out in cinemas in Australia, and if you're overseas, it is on 
HBO Max, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, streaming. I think I think HBO I was looking at Hulu and I couldn't be stuffed doing the account, like create an account to mm. find out if it works over here. You can rent just... it on Prime Video too. Oh, can you? Mm, or purchase it. Okay. No, well, yeah, wherever you can oh, find so it. So Google Play Rent, HBO Now, US, these are US, and Voodoo yeah, and Amazon US, you can buy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think our Amazon you can't because I checked this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah when and, I say, and it, keep, it yeah. keeps coming up with Kajillionaire instead. <laughs> nice. Uh, which is also Speaking an excellent Speaking of streaming film. platforms, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms this week? Yeah, so a bit of a lighter week in terms of the streaming services. If you're on Netflix this week, you can watch Vivo, which is an animated film starring Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda, who, who plays a monkey who travels to become a star. Also, Hustlers is coming to Netflix, which you've seen. Yeah. Um, coming to stand this week, in fact, it was just yesterday that this got released, a ton of Batman and Superman-themed uh, films and shows. And so stuff like Man is Steel and the Dark Knight, the Tim Burton Batmans, but also a lot of the animated films like Under the Red Hood and I think The Killing Joke. But just a lot of that dropped yesterday, so that's really interesting. That's all out there for you. Uh, and going off of last week's drops of... Um, uh, it was Rams and it was... What was the other Australian film? that dropped i'm trying to remember the name of it but this week on binge the furnace is Wowzers. coming so you can watch that through binge and coming to cinemas specifically luna this week you have the rose maker which is a french comedy that sees a formerly successful rose grower have to train free workers with no experience in the field to avoid bankruptcy there's also a couple of documentaries including we don't deserve dogs which is a contemplative odyssey which looks at both the simple and extraordinary ways in which dogs influence people's daily lives. Sounds humble. Hmm. Uh, and Without Getting Killed or Caught, which is an intimate look into the life of the songwriter Guy Clark. Uh, this Sunday, the 8th, there is an event for The Beloved. Uh, so I looked at the trailer of this. It basically looks like Western Australia is quite in a Scotsy, oh. uh, which is very interesting. Some really um, long medif- uh, medif- uh, meditative takes, I guess, if you will. Uh, It's described as an epic meditation on the audacious living experiment and its untold aftermath as it dwells into the history of the Orange People Group in, is it 1891? Did I misspell that? Or 1990? Or 1981? I think it was 1981. I totally misspelled Mm. that. Um, uh, Anyway, so if you go to Luna this Sunday the 8th, it will be introduced by director Joseph London. And you better pack a bag because the film is over four hours long. Jesus. So uh, <laughs> that's an electricity bill right yeah, there. Get some, get, some, get, some, get some coffee. I know. Jesus. Get a, save a bunch. Save a bunch in there. Um, so we are reviewing a film next week that does come to cinema, but no, not quite any of those. But Jake, what are we watching? Next week in the show, Zeke, we're watching The Suicide Squad. you got to be kidding me. You're going to risk the entire mission for a mental defective dress as a court jester. It's coming from a guy that wears a toilet seat on his head. We don't leave one of our own behind. Hopefully Harley's still alive. No funny business, Colonel. These are dangerous people. Team two is clear to go. Fire off. Three, two. What are you guys doing? What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were going to save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Blood sport. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way. 
and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Nom nom. Any questions? Hand. Yes, that is your hand. Very good. We're all gonna die. I hope so. Oh, for fuck's sake. James Gunn takes a stab at his own version of 2016's Suicide Squad, in which supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at an enemy-infused island. Um, so yeah, I... <laughs> evidently, I don't know what this is. It's a remake or a sequel. No, it's, it's definitely a sequel, because okay. everyone is new. Okay, except for like Margo, the two, literally Margot Robbie and oh, and Viola Davis and Viola Davis's character. So yep. maybe they're just gonna kill off all of the other ones. Um, I mean, technically, the Joker's still in this universe because that's the whole thing in Harley Quinn, right? Like, right, yeah, 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 it's a Joker I mean, version. Hope to God he's not in this. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, laughed like him. Yeah, look. We, you know, we were like, oh, we won't do another superhero movie for a, for a while. But hey, you know what, MA, it, it's got it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's MA, so it's fine. It's MA, it might be all right. Um, no, I don't know. No, well, look, the reason I pitched this to you um, was because it will be very interesting to compare what are essentially the same film, I imagine, in 2016's version and then this version with James Gunn. And this is this is his first film, I believe, mm-hmm. since uh, since the whole uh, Disney train. Disney doesn't like people, does it? <laughs> Since that whole thing happened. Um, I'm curious because I'm happy. I'm going to put myself through this. Like, happy to rewatch the first Suicide Squad to compare and contrast it to this film. Sure. Which I otherwise, um, to be honest, not. I really don't care. I'm really not like eager to see this film. Yeah. Happy to watch it, do the podcast and all that. But I'm just more interested in how different it's going to be and that James Gunn's voice will be like, very distinctive because we can directly compare it to something else. It's like when you watch like we two films from two different directors. You just it, it's easier to see how their voices interpret the material mm-hmm. when you do that kind of thing. So I'm excited from that standpoint to watch this film and see if it's as good as a uh, as Rotten Tomato says. It's not that I like how they review films, but ninety six percent right now. Ninety six percent. Look, I think it's going to be. I, I think. Gun's direction worked really well, and if you look at the Guardians films, so I I think um, we're going to enjoy this well enough. Um, I'm open to something different, something that has a unique voice. I think mm. you know the last couple of weeks when I've been talking about Invincible and and the boys, it's I don't mind this genre if this genre tries to do stuff that's different, and if this can deliver something that's different and is doesn't remotely resemble its predecessor then right. i'm going to be at least seldom on it you know for yeah. sure um it's i don't like like i'm with you same boat um but hey you know new films gotta 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 watch them new films so no it's good keep and, it contemporary and, you know as i was saying earlier i thought birds of prey was fairly good so who knows maybe i'll like this just as much if not more no dramas well thank you for joining us for the cinema sideshow podcast i was zeke i was jake and we'll catch you next week with the suicide squad